This is the Voice of Business, a podcast from the Worcester Regional Chamber of Commerce, sponsored by Worcester Regional Airport, in partnership with the Telegram and Gazette. From the Worcester Regional Chamber of Commerce, this is Voice of Business. I'm Emily Gabby-Bacchus. Today we're starting off the show with two representatives from the RDW Group. We've got Janet Farrell, the Director of Digital Services, and Michael Massour, the Director of Public Relations. How are you both doing today? Good, thank you. Happy to be here. Yes, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much. You both are uh, representing a company that's a new member. So can you tell me a little bit about the fact that you actually have a history in Worcester here? Some of the members that we welcome from out of state, you guys are based in Rhode Island, don't as much, and they're just looking to you know catch on with what's going on here in Worcester, but you guys aren't in that boat. So what's going on? Yeah, we're in a little sort of a little bit of a unique situation. Um, you know, we have a deep history here in Worcester. Um, going back, you know, decades. Um, one of our founders has some Worcester roots as an Assumption grad, um, and our, our current executive creative director actually is a Worcester native and ran a, a very successful agency here in Worcester mm-hmm. uh, that became part of RDW Group um, a number of years ago. Um, and we had a physical presence here until a couple of years ago, and, and for various reasons, um, you know, sort of consolidated back into Providence, as you mentioned, where where, where we're based. Um, but we've continued to do a lot of work here in Worcester, mm-hmm. uh, working with a number of clients. And, you know, I've obviously seen the city grow immensely in the last few years, which mm. is very exciting. Um, and, and never really, fortunately, have taken our eye off of Worcester. Good. Um, and, you know, and sort of starting to consider, can we, you know, plant a physical presence back here soon? Uh, and obviously the chamber has been integral in, in our exploration of that opportunity. Well, thank you. Yeah, we're always happy to help businesses relocate or start a satellite office here and launch here. Um, but for those of our listeners who aren't aware of what RDW Group does, can you just give us a quick little reminder, a little primer of what you guys do? Sure. So we're, we're a full service agency. Um, and I know that sounds cliche sometimes, but um, <laughs> it's true. Um, so we, you know, we do everything from, you know, brand strategy and development to public relations, to creative services, to, um, you know, Janet oversees our digital team, which, um, you know, is a big part of what we do these days. Um, what does digital it's... mean, Janet? Oh, it means everything these days. Okay. <laughs> we can talk more about that in a little bit, but I mean, sure. ultimately it's covering everything from, um, the way, uh, you know, consumers are getting their information, mm-hmm. from our, you know, your mobile to your search and your, you know, physical presence on your website and your social media channels. It's really kind of what the world is these days. So it's it's a lot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, know. I feel like if I leave my phone anywhere, I'm just like, nope, got to go find yeah. it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. The way we so. live, we're attached. Yes. Fortunately <laughs> or true. fortunately, it depends. And apologies, Michael, I interrupted you in the middle of your, your no, explanation. No, it was a perfect segue, actually, because Janet could speak much more eloquently to the digital services uh, side than, than I could have. So, um, but but that's sort of it, really, you know, I mean, you know, including the traditional stuff too, you know, um, TV, video production, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. graphic design. Um, but as I said, a lot of it is, is on the digital side now. Um, and for good reason. Mm-hmm. I have to say, with the businesses that we're seeing start here in Worcester, and I mean, I used to report down in Providence, so there's a lot of small arts businesses, especially down there. The branding that's coming out of both of these communities is really interesting. So it must be a very um, creative job that you both have, but being able to translate a, you know, oh, I want to open up this business into one logo with the correct font and the right colors and be able to uh, put it across the internet digitally. That's a big job. Yeah, it's a process, um, or it should be a process anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not always. And, you know, and sometimes, um, 
the organizations uh, that are looking to go through that process maybe not, don't have the resources to do you know sort of a full blown branding sure um, you know process, but uh, it certainly can be very involved and, mm-hmm. and really. It goes back to a lot of things that, that Janet's team does, and it's understanding who are our target audiences. Okay. Um, you know, we, we know more about, um, you know, our target audiences than ever before, mm-hmm. good, bad, or indifferent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, uh, an entity that's looking to go through that process really um, should start with doing their homework. Okay. Um, and really knowing, you know, what their tar- who their target audience is and, and, and um, what their target audience is looking for mm-hmm. and build from there. Yeah. Okay. And I think there's, you know, uh, the way we, the way we work best with a lot of our clients is to really collaborate because ultimately the business owner is the expert mm-hmm. on their business themselves, mm-hmm. and yes. they have a lot of untapped information a lot of times that they aren't even aware um, that they have, and sometimes just from an initial kind of basic conversation, we can really help them. Um, kind of spark an idea about how to kind of bring their business forward, whether it be from a creative perspective, a digital perspective, or, or otherwise, whatever they're looking to ultimately do. Sure. And I understand one of the points you wanted to talk about was a crisis communications plan. Is that also one of the services that you offer? Yeah, so that would fall sort of under our traditional PR. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, portfolio, if you will, although even, you know, traditional public relations is, is sort of, um, has changed, has evolved. Uh, obviously, it's gotten very digital. But, you know, that's one of those things, no matter um, what the latest trends are in, in marketing and communications, um, having a solid crisis communications plan in place is is critical. Okay. Um, certainly, any organization can, can, you know, happen upon a crisis at any time. Um, you may not know what that crisis is going to be in advance, sure. obviously. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, there are certainly common denom- denominators to every crisis. And Having a plan in place, um, hopefully maybe even having practiced that plan on occasion, um, you know, uh, saves a lot of headaches for when that crisis does hit. Um, so almost like a will, but practiced in a fire alarm kind of way? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's certainly analogous to anything, you know, um, you know, uh, for, for future planning, a will, an insurance plan. Mm-hmm. You know, you hope you never need it. Right. Although a will at some point you will need. Um, <laughs> that's inevitable. Um, but, you know, an insurance plan, you know, you may never need it. But to have it, obviously, uh, is a great advantage for, for when you do need it. Sure. Um, and so... Things as simple as, you know, knowing who to call, who's that, you know, communications tree when a crisis mm-hmm, hits, mm-hmm. Um, reassuring or, or reinforcing rather um, policies with your employees, right? Because, you know, something happens in your organization and what's the first thing most people want to do? They want to jump on social media and talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can reinforce some of those policies, um, again, absent whatever the actual crisis is, is going to put you in a much better place than if you hadn't done any of that planning in the first place. And Again, no matter no matter what the latest trends are, going back to that um, is is uh, is important. Okay. And at what stage would you like to see your clients come to you and say, "I need a crisis communications plan"? At any point. Whenever. Okay. <laughs> at any yeah. point. Let's just there's, always there's no, be there's safe. There's no better time. It's just you know, uh, it's about having one in place. You hope they don't come to you when they're in a crisis. <laughs> um, although that happens, of course, and yes. of course we're happy to jump in and help out. You sort of do that on the fly, but. Um, you know, you, you hope that, that that's sort of a proactive thing where, you know, one of the first things an organization does or whenever, as soon as they have the opportunity to dedicate those resources. And it does take resources, particularly time, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. create a crisis plan that they that they, um, that they they dedicate those resources and, and develop it and practice it and have it for if and when they need it. 
Okay. And as our listeners know, and a lot of the skills that I have translated over the, to the chamber are journalism-related and media-related. And I'm very interested in knowing more about how you guys work with augmented and virtual reality to work with the media to get those pitch ideas out there. Because you can get inundated with pitches, but to have something that's coming to you that's interactive and new, I think would really grab the attention of someone. So how are clients um, benefiting from those services? Yeah, so this is, um, you know, this is something that we really sort of dove into through the lens of public relations to start anyway. Um, and this is, it's, this is new. This is sort of in its nascent stages. But um, I think we're all familiar with virtual reality, even if we may not know the ins and outs of it. I think we all know what it is. Um, so, but the, the great thing is that technology has become much more accessible mm-hmm. to produce mm-hmm. um, the virtual reality. And, and augmented reality is sort of a step up from that. We're not we're not focused on that quite yet. Okay. This is more about how do you drop a, a user into a real-world environment. Sure. Um, and so rather than, to your point, being on the receiving end of many pitches over, you know, in your journalism days, you know, rather than being on the receiving end of a written pitch mm-hmm. or a phone call, mm-hmm. um, you know. Oh, can, man, those are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> we can create, you know, a 30-second or a 60-second um, virtual reality video. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Google makes their Google Cardboard, which is, you know, a, a foldable, mailable virtual reality viewer. Very primitive, but okay. it works. Yep. Um, and we can shoot it, edit it, um, you know, using very accessible tools. Mm-hmm. Send you this little kit and says instead of, you know, reading a three or four paragraph pitch, we give you instructions on how to view this 360 video and you're there. You're seeing it for yourself. Right. Um, and, and the great thing is, is that YouTube has a 360 platform built right in. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. you know how to use YouTube and you know how to use your smartphone, you're there. Set. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And now, just, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead, Janet. These sorts of assets can really be multi-purpose. So it doesn't have to just live in the realm of your PR strategy mm-hmm. um, or, or pitching kind of different stories and that sort of thing. They can really be repurposed across all digital platforms from social to, um, you know, to web, to email marketing, whatever they might be. As, as Mike said, the the tools are, are so accessible that really anyone can do it. And mm-hmm. it, it's an opportunity to really provide an experience um, to people and showcase what you're offering um, in any in any way, shape, or, or form. So it can be used also from the consumer side of things from a marketing perspective. Perfect. Now I was going to say one of the cardinal sins of time wasting, I think, is doing something once and only having it fit one platform. So to be able to recycle that material and use it over and over again is just ace. Perfect. All right. So let's move on a little bit more. Um, Creating a cohesive brand message and voice. So that's obviously very important when you're representing a client, and that's something that I'm sure is at the core of your strategy. Mm yeah, I think across the board, um, the world is so fragmented these days. There's so many opportunities to talk about your brand, um, to, to promote your brand. People have social channels for their brands. They have websites. You know, they have email marketing campaigns. Um, and and with all of these different channels, it's important to really kind of use them and make the most out of them and mm-hmm. be really efficient with your messaging. But also, um, you know, understand that people are engaging with you, no matter your brand, mm-hmm. through a journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're first learning about you. There's certain messages you might want to roll out then as they consider and get to know you more. Um, you know, there might be an email marketing cadence to that. So it's really important to think about all the messages that are out there about your brand um, and really tie them together. Because if you have this fragmented uh, vision 
information out there and you have, you know, maybe a look and feel on your website, a different look and feel in your email marketing, different messages in all those places, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're really not doing your brand justice. People need to, uh, or you want really your people to, uh, to see your brand identity and recognize you and understand your voice and get to know you um, and build a relationship with you as a customer. So Mm -hmm. having that kind of tied together in one central theme is really, really helpful and will help kind of Uh, make the most of your marketing dollars. Oh, sure. Perfect. Now, I know that RDW in the past has worked with the Worcester Art Museum, the Higgins Army Museum, which unfortunately has closed, but it was so, it was actually... But it's alive still in in, in sort of its own way. And Wham is working to showcase more of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Veterans Inc., WPI Children's Friend, a lot of which are chamber members, which is great. But when you're talking about, you know, these marketing dollars and branding and making sure you have a content strategy, what types of businesses specifically are you... um, looking to have transition into client member um, relationships with RDW, uh, what kind of businesses are you suggesting, hey, why don't you, you know, come over and give us a chat? I mean, I think, honestly, and and not to sound like we can be a one-size-fits-all, but really all businesses, depending on their goals and objectives, sure. this is kind of something they should be thinking about for their brands, right? Mm-hmm. They should be mm-hmm. thinking about what their goals and objectives are, whether they are membership, whether it's getting people in the door, um, you know, to attend a museum or an exhibit that's going on. I think there's a lot of opportunity, and, and goals and objectives are different for every single organization, and I think that's something that we um, do really well at RDW Group is really kind of get to know and understand understand a client and what their goals are, their objectives, and where kind of the trouble spots could be and help them formulate a customized, you know, strategy to it to, to reach their goals. So it's, it's something that really is customized. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but having said that, you know, we do have clients a- across the board, but higher education, um, uh, finance, uh, healthcare, healthcare. Thank nice. you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tend mm-hmm. to be some of our our sweet spots energy. in particular. Energy. Oh, perfect. Okay. Um, utilities, um, as well. But and, and manufacturing. Um, you know, we we've uh, speaking of a you know Worcester company um, that mm-hmm. we've had a long relationship with and a great relationship with is David Clark. Mm, you know, yes. Um, they're obviously a, a well known uh, manufacturer here in uh, in uh, in Worcester, um, and and that's you know another sector where. You know, we, we have a pretty deep history in the manufacturing and B2B space, mm-hmm. but that's changed a lot in the last 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, um, you know, we as, a, you know, as an agency that works with, the, you know, the manufacturing sector have had to, to keep up with what does manufacturing look like in 2020. Exactly, right? yeah. It's not what it looks like in 2000. Craft beer is technically manufacturing. Right. It's the weirdest uh, thing you know, to me. Um, mm-hmm. Those are popping of, up everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Not yeah. that I'm mad about it. No, I'm totally happy about it. <laughs> yeah, true. Very true. true. Perfect. All right. In our last minutes, uh, what are we going to see in this space in terms of technology and use in terms of your services in 2020? Um, I mean, a- across the board, I think our services are always evolving because technology is always evolving. Um, so some of the things that I think are continuing to see more of, um, particularly voice search. I mean, mm. nowadays, uh, you know, smart speakers, the household penetration of that is somewhere around, you know, 40, 30 to 40 percent. I yeah. think by uh, 2022, it's above 50 percent. And the fact that children use them, too. Oh, and they use them scarily. I know my kids in particular. <laughs> I-, I have had instances where, uh, you know, friends of mine, their kids have, like, ordered something off of Amazon. It's 
it's so accessible that it's too accessible because Amazon says, would you like to buy this? And you say yes. And there you go. Of course. <laughs> it's on your front step the next day. Um, but I think particularly for local businesses, um, you know, consumers are three times more likely to be using voice search for local businesses. Mm -hmm. But it's not a one size fits all. It's not a fit for everyone that they need to think about voice search for their particular business. But a lot of times, um, you know, you're searching for like, where is my local mechanic? What, mm -hmm. um, you know, what do I do if I... I'm broken down on the side of the road. You know, it's those kind of ask why questions and sure. how questions mm -hmm. that people are using. But um, people are doing it more and more. So it's something to think about um, with your strategy, um, especially if you're a local brand. You know, what should you be doing? How should you be setting up your website to make sure that it is um, it ranks well for something like a voice search? Um, and that's something I think that we are starting to think about with our clients um, as it makes sense. And again, not necessarily something for everyone, but something to definitely think about and to consider um, as technology continues to evolve. Perfect. Um, social commerce is another one. Mm -hmm. um, I think most people who are on social media now are getting more and more comfortable with purchasing things or oh, at yeah. least getting ads for things on social yep. and engaging with those ad units because it's kind of becoming second nature. You're becoming desensitized to the fact that these are ad ads and mm -hmm. you're seeing um, more and more of that happening and that's going to continue to grow. Social um, channels in general are, are really kind of almost becoming a commerce mm -hmm. um, and, and people are, are using them and that's fast growing. So it's it's, you know, don't be, don't shy away from considering social um, as an as an opportunity to um, promote and sell uh, products. It's a very good idea. And I applaud RDW for moving in that um, direction in terms of addressing, hey, these are the platforms that are new. And here's a way to differentiate yourself. A lot of marketing is a little bit stale, a little bit um, same old, same old, because we know it's going to work. But if you are the new person on that bandwagon, you're going to get a lot more hits. And then the people who are next door are going to follow. So it's a great way to set yourself apart in the competition. Well, there's always, there is always a need for the tried and true as well. Um, it's all about balance and, and making kind of the, a concerted effort to test and learn, but not kind of forget your, your core. So. Of course. And that goes back to, again, knowing your target audience, right? And mm -hmm. knowing their, their habits. And, you know, um, your, your marketing mix is probably going to be slightly different if you're targeting, you know, young families versus, um, you know, senior citizens. Exactly. Obviously, their, you know, mm -hmm. their consumption habits are, are, although in some ways are probably similar, in other ways are probably vastly different. Still going to get so, that, that yellow pages. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so knowing, you know, knowing your target audiences and, and how they're searching for things. Mm -hmm. um, to Janet's point is, is um, you know, incredibly important. And a lot of times, uh, you know, companies have this data at their fingertips and they don't even realize it. You know, they have someone complete a form and give them basically all the information about them or they, you know, are dealing with customers who are calling who have questions and trouble spots. And that information can really be used um, to, to tailor your, your strategy and understand what information should you be giving um, your audience so that they can make decisions that, ultimately help them in the long run. So it's important to kind of mine that data and, and understand it to improve your marketing efforts across the board. Great. Well, this has been a lot of really helpful information. Where can people contact you both to learn more? So I would say uh, go right to our website, which is newly uh, refreshed, redesigned, um, rdwgroup.com. Um, you see um, a lot of the fun things that we've worked on uh, recently. Um, but also, um, you know, all of our contact information is there along Sounds with our list of services. So, yeah, head right to the website, rdwgroup.com. Yeah, and we're always willing to have a conversation. It doesn't have to be a, a, a full engagement. We're happy mm -hmm. to, to talk and chat and, and consult uh, as we can be helpful. 
Sounds great. Well, Janet, Mike, thanks so much for coming on The Voice of Business. Yeah. Thanks, Emily. Thank thanks you. for having us. Thanks for having us. Of course. All right, hang on. We'll be back with Rob Zargis of the Casa Project. Subscribe to Telegram.com to stay up to date on your business news from in and around central Massachusetts and have that news delivered to your inbox every day by subscribing to our Business at Noon newsletter. Worcester is growing, and so is Telegram.com. Welcome back to the Voice of Business. In the latter half of today's show, we are talking to Rob Zargis, the executive director of the CASA Project. Rob, thanks so much for coming into the Voice of Business. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Wonderful. I'm excited to talk about this, too. I first learned about the CASA Project at the Chamber's December Business After Hours when we uh, helped you guys by collecting a few here and there hats, scarves, and gloves for children in need. So you do support local children in the area. Can you help me understand and our listeners what CASA Project does and the fact that it's not that Spanish 101 word, it's an acronym? Right. It is an acronym. It stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates. What we do is we recruit, screen, and train volunteers from Worcester County, uh, regular citizens just like you and me, uh, to um, advocate for young people who have been removed from their home because of abuse and neglect. And we serve every community in um, Worcester County, which goes Mm -hmm. from the New Hampshire border to the Rhode Island border. Wow. uh, About 67 communities. And Mm -hmm. um, um, we uh, are appointed by judges. Our volunteers are repo- appointed by judges to um, advocate for the kids on that case. And so what they do is they collect all the data that they can uh, about that child. Um, they talk to their teachers, their therapists, their doctors, anybody that's involved with that, that child's life. And then we make a report to the judge and um, with our recommendations and any uh, concerns that we have about the child, um, ultimately with two goals in mind, um, to shorten the amount of time that a child's in foster care Mm. and to quickly move them into permanent home. Uh, So whether that means going back home to the family of origin or whether that means that they need to be freed up to be adopted. Um, So we make recommendations around those kinds of things, all in the best interest of the child. Absolutely. This must be a very um, fragile line of work, a very... um you know, it, it's young children that you're dealing with. What are the age ranges that you usually have in in support of CASA? Yeah, it could be anything from a child that has just been born to uh, up to up till their 18th birthday is mm-hmm. when they're eligible for DCF services. Um, so it could be anywhere in between that. And um, last year we served about 900 children. 900. Children. And um, you know the the. About half of them were under the age of twelve, wow. um, and so we are. Uh, you know, we're we're working with every age group, and we have volunteers. We have about three hundred fifty volunteers that that work very hard at doing that, and we're wow. always looking for new volunteers. Okay. Um, so any anybody who's interested in that can go to our website, uh, www.thecasaproject.org. Perfect. Let's talk about those volunteers. Nine hundred kids is a lot. Do you match one volunteer to one kid, and you know, what types of support are you looking for from these volunteers? Absolutely. So the, in the juvenile court, what happens is a case is a family. So mm-hmm. it could be one child. It could be seven children. It really depends on on the nature of that of that family in that case. So we, we are appointed to a case, not to a child per, okay. per se. So mm-hmm. um, if you got assigned to a case, it could have one child. Two however children, many siblings five there children, are. however many siblings there are, and okay. have been removed from the home. And so we worked on about 525 cases last year, mm-hmm. and that translated to about 900 kids. Okay. Um, and um, so uh, that's where the assignment is done. And then they, we have our volunteers go out, and they 
go and visit the child at least once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, they visit with their teachers and every different things uh, to, to make the recommendations uh, for the judge. We really act as the eyes and ears of the judge. Mm-hmm. We do the things that a judge would do if he or she was able to step off the bench and go investigate sure. this case on their okay. own. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how it got started in the mid-70s, mm-hmm. um, and we, we were founded in 1981. Oh, wonderful. So you're not – this is – separate from foster care. You're not asking for volunteers to take young children into their home. You're asking for them to do research on the side and just create a relationship with these children. Absolutely, yeah. So we don't do foster care placement. Mm-hmm. Um, none of our volunteers are foster parents of these children mm-hmm. or adopt these children. What we do is we act as um, an independent eyes and ears and a voice for the child uh, while they're in the foster care system so that we can do two things. One is that we we build the legal side of the case. We're right. We do the actual court reporting. The okay. court goes to the judge. That's treated as evidence. And then we also do some case management. So we are, we're take, keeping our eyes on any gaps in services that the children might need mm-hmm. or, or should have, mm-hmm. um, whether they're in the right educational services, whether they have mental health services, whether they have their health services in line, which actually we do a very good job in Worcester County. Um, Thanks to Dr. Forky, who actually we're honoring in our event coming up in March 6th. Um, So they go out and they collect all this data, and then we make, we we voice our concerns Mm -hmm. and we make recommendations, but we Mm -hmm. do build a relationship with the child. We get to know that child, and often the CASA volunteer is the most consistent person in that child's life while uh. they're in foster care because, uh, you know, foster, I mean, a social worker could change, an attorney could change, mm-hmm. uh, they might change foster homes mm-hmm. even in that process. Well, many do. Um, but that CASA follows that child no matter where they go. Okay. That's that's really great to create that connection. So about how long, let's say I start as a volunteer tomorrow and I have a case assigned to me, how long does it look like I'm going to be involved in that case, I mean, granted, you can have a relationship that lasts longer than that. Um, what type of length of time commitment are we talking about? So we, we ask for a one-year commitment. Okay. Um, we have a we have 30 hours of pre-service training, and then we ask for a one-year commitment once you've been assigned a case. We actually hope that you'll stay on the case for however long it takes, because mm-hmm. it could be anywhere from nine months to two years, depending yep. on the complexity or what happens in court and, mm-hmm. and different things like that. But we hope that you'll stay with that child until that court court case is, is resolved and closed. Um, we have many volunteers that then take on another case. Um, we have some volunteers that take on multiple cases, although that's rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have a couple of those unicorns in our volunteer <laughs> uh, pool that uh, we have the one, dream wo- team. one woman that has, I think, five cases right now. She's oh, basically wow. working full-time as a volunteer for us, which is amazing. Wow. Um, but uh, for the for the majority of our volunteers, they take one case at a t- you know, one case at a time. Uh, they work it to completion, take a little break, and then they're they're itching to get back. And okay. um, it's very rewarding work when you see a child uh, gets what they need. Our, our, our interest is not to see a child survive foster care, but thrive while they're in foster of care. Of course. So, yes. A little and, bit more than surviving would right, be good. Exactly. <laughs> um, so let's talk about who you're looking for, for volunteers. Um, a lot of the no kid um, couples that I know, both work full time, but um, you know they might have a pet or something. Have some hobbies on the side. Have some time to spare. Sure. Um, are you looking? And do your volunteers exist of retirees, young professionals, people with children who whose hearts go out to children who might be abused and neglected? Where where are these people coming from usually? 
The answer is yes to all of that. So, <laughs> I mean, great. they really come from all walks of life. We have people that are retired uh, educators or retired social workers or they've, uh, you know, they've, whatever career they've been in, they've retired. Now they have some time on their hands, although I've mm-hmm. never met a retired person that says they're not busy. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, and then we have people that are working full-time jobs. We have people that are uh, working part-time. We have students. We mm-hmm. have um, all students, kinds of Students, so from yeah, the colleges. So, yeah, the colleges have been really great. Um, oh, wow. So we have some college students and some uh, grad students you do have to be 21 okay uh, so it's usually seniors and undergrad and mm-hmm. grad students, but uh, it's a great great opportunity for you to grab some experience um, doing this as well as once you're trained, you can go anywhere in the country because there's 958 CASA programs throughout the country. Oh wow! Um, so that you can go anywhere wherever you go from your college experience, you could okay. find a CASA program and you're trained and ready to go. So comparatively to these other 958 programs, you cover 67 communities, about 900 kids last year. How does that compare to maybe Boston or other other regions in the U.S.? Yeah, so we are the oldest and the most uh, the, the largest in Massachusetts. So, okay, wow. Um, there's there's a program in Boston or Suffolk County. It's done by counties, okay. court jurisdiction. So Suffolk County, Essex County, and mm-hmm. then the three counties out in Western Mass. Yep. Um, we we've been around the longest, um, and we are about twice the size of all the other programs combined. So just wow. to put it in perspective, Worcester County does have a pretty high power. Population. And it's you know it's the north to south county that really does take up that. It's the biggest catchment area for DCF as okay. well. So um, so there's some reasons behind that, but also we do a really good job at Mr. Casa and building <laughs> building the capacity. And our goal is really to be able to serve every child. So to give you some perspective about the scope of the issue, every year in Massachusetts about 8,700 kids uh, are, are removed from their home because of abuse oh and neglect. Okay. In Worcester County, that's 1,700. Okay. Uh, so we have 1,700 kids a year. We think about 1,400 of them need a CASA. Okay. And is that, I believe the equation that you're describing is because there isn't an adult in the picture who's doing all of that follow-up. That's where the volunteer steps in. So the volunteer is assigned by the judge to collect specific data and to be an independent set of eyes and a okay. voice for the child. Um, the, the, the juvenile court is a strange experience if you've never been there. So the only person that's not in the, in the uh, courtroom uh, is the child. And so really the CASA is standing there as the voice of the child. This is what the child wants, but this is maybe what we recommend because we are best interest, right? Mm -hmm. So I always give the example of the 12-year-old girl who says every time you meet with her, I want to go home, I want to be with my mother, I want to be with mother, but mom's not ready. Yeah. Um, So we would report to the court, the child wants to be returned home. We don't recommend that at this time because of X, Y, and Z. And we give the actual data, which Mm -hmm. we collected, on the reasons why. Because Mm -hmm. we have to stand for the best interest of the child, not just what their wishes were. Um, And so in the courtroom at any given time, you have a DCF attorney, you have the attorney for the parents, an attorney for the child, and then we have the CASA worker that's in the middle standing there um, trying to give a fuller picture for the judge. Because we talk to everyone on Mm -hmm. the case. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, thank you for doing that. Thank you for standing in for those children who don't have a voice yet. Um, you mentioned that you were established in 1981 and you're the oldest CASA project in Massachusetts. How long have you been with CASA and what sort of brought you to this work? Yeah, so I, I it will be four years in August. Great. Um, yeah, and it's, it's sometimes it feels like it's 
I only started yesterday. Other times I'm like, <laughs> it's only been four years. Um, but uh, what got me into this work, I, I had uh, um, I've been in nonprofit work for 30 years. Um, I started with uh, working with juvenile offenders that were transitioning back into the community mm-hmm. um, and running some aftercare programs and things mm. along those lines. Um, and then I worked uh, in Boston working with runaway and homeless youth. Um, so I've always worked with high risk populations of youth. Sure. I kind of ended my high-risk population of youth uh, career and did some consulting, and then this opportunity came up. And I said, well, is this a fit? It's like some, it's a little different than anything I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, it's children, it's foster care, and it's um, not direct services, right? Sure. We don't provide direct services. I've always done direct services. And then I really started thinking about it, both personally and professionally, it makes a lot of sense for me. Professionally, um, because the work that I've done with runaway and homeless youth, as well as the kids in the juvenile justice system, the most stable indicator for a kid entering either one of those two systems mm-hmm. is multiple foster care placements. Oh. So if we can minimize the amount of foster care placements or the time they spend in foster care for kids, mm-hmm. it's a protective factor from keeping them entering, becoming homeless or becoming part of the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge thing. So it's the front end of the thirty or 25 years of, of work that I did. It's really preventative work around that, that issue. Mm. And then personally, I've adopted three children of my own uh, through the department. So um, it's a personal passion of mine as well. How wonderful. Thank you And so being able to facilitate uh, that for kids is a really powerful thing for me. Well, thank you very much for being that person in the community. How old were they when you adopted them? So my twins were uh, we from the hospital, um, and uh, my 24 year old was four. So wow! Oh, great! Yeah. I'd love to hear stories of that success stories. Um, wonderful. So we are going to be back with Rob Zargis, the executive director of the Worcester Casa Project, in just a minute, and we're going to talk about some upcoming events that the uh, organization is putting on. Be right back. As the voice of local business, the Worcester Regional Chamber of Commerce works hard to foster a dynamic environment of entrepreneurship and economic success. Our members benefit from a broad portfolio of services, including advocacy, economic development activity, and programming efforts. Is your business a member? Check out more at WorcesterChamber.org or on social media at Worcester Chamber. Welcome back to The Voice of Business. We are rounding out today's show with the remainder of our interview with Rob Zargis, the executive director of the Worcester Casa Project. Rob, thanks so much for being on The Voice of Business. Let's pick up with some events that are happening this year in support of the Casa Project. We're starting March 6th with the second annual Champions for Children celebration. What goes on that day? Yeah, so on March 6th, we'll be at Mechanics Hall and Washburn Hall to, um, it's twofold. One, it's a cocktail party and, and um, just kind those. of a celebration. It's the of, business right, community. It's, it's right. I mean, it's like <laughs> going to be a beautiful day. We already know that, right? It's no rain. It's going to be a beautiful day. Um, but then we're, what we're doing is we're honoring our champions um, in the community, the people that have really made a difference in kids' lives sure. um, okay. over, over their career or over the last year. So this year, we're, we're um, honoring Dr. Heather Forkey from uh, UMass. Um, she's done an incredible work with the Faces Clinic here in, in Worcester. I don't know um, what the Faces Clinic so is. So the Faces Clinic is a, um, a clinic that's really designed for foster care children okay. as they come into the system to do an initial assessment and things along those lines. And additionally, Dr. Forky's mm-hmm. done an incredible amount of research around brain science and how that affects uh, childhood trauma, which mm-hmm. every one of our children experiences. Um, and so we're honoring her um, as, as our champion. Uh, uh, actually, she's the um, Senator Har- Harriet Chandler Award, um, and she'll she'll be um, 
receiving that award. Our oh, champion wonderful. for children this year is um, one of our judges, Judge Capuano. Okay. She is a, a judge up in the north part of the. Well, she's actually all over the. Uh, she's actually all over the county. Um, <laughs> I think of her always as in the north county because she she covers both Fitchburg and Lemonster Court, uh, but she's also um, down in Dudley as well. Um, and we're honoring her she, uh, as as the judge of the year, and she's our champion for children. And then we're honoring our our volunteer of the year, which is Suzanne Remington. Oh, wonderful! Um, so we will have a little bit of an award ceremony. Doctor Forky will speak a little bit, um, and that it's really about. Um, celebrating the work that we've done over the last year mm-hmm. and preparing for the work that we're going to do in the upcoming year. Okay. Um, and it's a really cool event. We have an amazing committee of people that have been involved with putting this together. Um, we are going to have food vendors from all over North uh, uh, Worcester County um, that will bring and set up. Oh, and yes. uh, so there'll be all kinds of different foods set up around Washburn Hall. Um, and our volunteers will be there um, standing at each food vendor to tell mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. of kids and things along those lines. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, I was curious. I know we spoke a lot about volunteers in the first half of our interview, but how did Ms. Remington sort of stand out from the other volunteers? Yeah, so Suzanne Remington um, this year has really... um uh, you know, over the past two years has had a huge impact on really advocating in the system uh, as far as the legislative system and working with Senator Moore specifically uh, to make sure that there was uh, adequate judges and oh, okay. adequate coverage and mm-hmm. looking at how the um, the court system's working. And she's had an incredible impact on that. Not to mention she's I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think she's had like 13 cases with 28 kids or something along those lines. Oh, my goodness. Um, if you want the actual numbers, you're going to have to come on March 6th, and there are tickets still available on our website. Perfect. Um, but if you uh, – uh, she just does an incredible job advocating both um, as an educational advocate, as a regular CASA advocate, and then also working uh, with the legislature as well. You were describing a, a situation that doesn't sort of have all of its resources. Is child law and the child court system something that people try? Like, it, it's not a great situation. So, are people sort of looking over it and overlook, overlooking it, not looking over it? You know what I mean, Rob? I do, I do know what you mean. <laughs> um, no, I don't think it's being. It's not a, an issue of neglecting it or any overlooking mm-hmm. it or anything mm-hmm. along those lines. It's really about an issue. It's a difficult system. It's been designed. It's being asked to do something that it wasn't necessarily designed to. Um, do. Okay, um, and so there are times where different resources are lacking, and and um, the the difficulty it comes in, um, and the court system and DCF do an amazing job. And you'll never hear me say a, a bad thing about either one of them, even though there may be frustration at times with both systems. Um, but they are dedicated people that are care about kids and want to see see things work the best that they possibly can, but sometimes are Mm under-resourced. And sometimes the community needs to be the voice for that, um, Mm -hmm. to really bring that issue to light so that people in the legislature know to make sure to resource it differently. And that's one of the roles that Suzanne has played this year that has been really powerful. Um, And Judge Capuano plays that role every day in Mm -hmm. the courtroom. Mm -hmm. Um, And Dr. Forky, if anybody's ever met Dr. Forky, they know that she advocates every every breath that comes out of her mouth for the on behalf of children. So. Oh, perfect. And I'm glad you're making this opportunity to thank the people that are involved. Um, this is the second annual Champions for Children celebration. So I'm curious, can you tell me a bit about the sort of catalyst for this celebration? It 
being only two years old, it's quite new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was one of the things that I wanted to do when I first came to Casa, but it kind of kept getting pushed down the <laughs> the priority list. And so last year we kicked it off uh, with an event at Worcester Country Club, and mm-hmm. we honored um, the first justice, Ju- uh, Judge Erskine, um, Harriet Chandler, mm-hmm. uh, who we who is our um, she's a champion for us legislatively as well as securing funding for the trial budget, which we we get a piece of um, at Casa, um, and then also our volunteer of the year last year. So oh, and, and Jamie Karen, the regional director of DCF. So we oh. honored all four of them last Great. year. Great. Um, I, um, in my previous role as a executive director, we had a gala and it was in Boston. A different strategy in Boston sure. as far as gallows mm-hmm. are concerned, but I felt like we wanted to do something that we were celebrating not only the people that make a difference in kids' lives, but an opportunity for donors to come together and really think about where they want to invest their their charitable dollars, right? Of um, course. Our goal is really um, to be able to serve every child in Worcester County and that means we need to raise another quarter of a million dollars a year. Oh Sustainable. Mm-hmm. We can serve mm-hmm. every child. Yep. Um, that seems like such short money to me. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And one of our, we have, we're just looking for new vehicles for people to get involved, to hear about what we do, um, to understand um, the breadth and depth of the issue, but also opportunities to invest in, in the work that we do. And the social return on investment is huge. Mm-hmm. $1,200 a year, $100 a month yep. serves a sibling group. For a year. Oh, wow. That's not a lot of money. It's not. And especially when that's about a month of foster care. Okay. Think of it in terms of that. So one year of services at CASA is about the same as a, a, a month of foster care. And so the investment is a huge one. Not to mention that our because we're volunteer run, we saved the comp last year. Worcester CASA saved the Commonwealth almost almost um, four million dollars. Wow! Um, in in, in services and in services okay. as far as advocacy goes. So it's a great place to invest, and um, we hope that people will join us in this mission. Thank you for segueing into fundraising because I know it's a very important part of the work you do, and it's it's always there at the forefront, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, and two hundred fifty thousand dollars is. You know, a large amount of money, but if you chip away at it, like you were saying, $100 a month here and there, it becomes a more palatable number. And one of the most recent donations I want to bring up is something that is quite uh, unique, I think. Redemption Rock uh, Brewing Company and Queen's Cups came together and they donated $4,400 just about from their February tip collection. What was that like? Did you know it was going on? Were you aware or did you just get a phone call one day? Yeah, they they let us know ahead of time. Um, Again, this is our amazing committee that's working this event um, reach, had relationships and and they ended up choosing us as their charity so they both have been doing it for for a while hmm. um, I, I'm not sure how long exactly but this was the first time they decided to do it together and kind of bring their efforts together. Um, so in January, anybody, um, because both of those companies pay a living wage, they don't accept tips. Right. And so instead of, um, you know, uh, the, the employee getting the tip, they have a tip jar that's got a sponsored uh, nonprofit. Um, and people who want to leave a tip can leave a tip in the tip jar and it mm-hmm. goes directly to the to the nonprofit. And we were chosen, CASA Project was chosen as, as the January um, for both places, both sites. And uh, we, they were just here last week uh, at CASA and gave us a check for $4,400 plus. And um, I was blown away. I really, I was blown away by it. Um, great people, great companies, um, concerned about the, 
community of Worcester mm-hmm. and, and beyond. Um, and we were just really thankful to be uh, even on their radar, much less be a beneficiary of all their wonderful patrons. Of course. Yeah, I think it's it's a great way to introduce nonprofits to the greater community. You have a leg up there in terms of just being there when people, your little logo sign at their tip jar. Um but as we're talking about fundraising, a lot of people don't have the time to give, but yeah. they can give money. So how can they financially support CASA? What are the ways in which you can get involved in that? Um, and how can they reach out to you? Absolutely. So you can go on our website anytime, uh, uh, thecasaproject.org, and um, there's a place to, to donate on, online. Okay. And a lot of different choices. You can choose to sponsor a child for a year. I saw that, yeah. yeah so we actually have a program where if you choose, you can do a monthly um, uh, draw on your on your checking account to mm-hmm. $100 a month, um, and we, you'll sponsor a child for a year. And um, so we have that program as well. And that's also on our website. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get involved with our golf tournament. If, you, if you're if you a golfer and you're interested in, in, in supporting a great cause, we have our golf tournament coming up at Sterling National um, in August 3rd. Oh, perfect. Um, and um, this will be our 22nd year of doing this golf tournament. So it's... Uh, uh, it's it's a really great great day. Um, we're really excited about being at Sterling National mm. um, up in up in Sterling. And, it's a beautiful um, course. It's a beautiful course, and a be- and they've just redone their clubhouse and all that. So you can get involved with our events. Um, you can sponsor us at any level. Um, <laughs> you know, we have people that give. Uh, we have this one one wonderful lady um, that gives us five dollars a year, um, and she just writes the most beautiful notes with it. Oh. And uh, it just uh, those are just as important as any other gifts that we have so um you know if you're interested in also just volunteering Mm -hmm. um there's you don't have to be a a casa advocate to be a volunteer you can come in and help with our our um, wrapping christmas gifts around christmas time so we give gifts to every one of our children on our list um we also uh, stuff backpacks uh, for back to school in August. Um, and there's a lot of other ways. Uh, we always need office help and, mm-hmm. and things along those mm-hmm. lines. So there's a lot of ways to get involved with CASA. Um, corporate opportunities, too? Abso- oh, absolutely. So, um, you know, corporate sponsorships of our events, corporate sponsorship of the golf tournament. Um, you can... Um, yeah, so we use, as far as the um, foundations and things along those lines, you know, we reach out quite a bit. Sounds good. All right, and Rob, any uh, any contact information for you if people have questions? Yeah, if you have any questions, don't hesitate. Uh, to. You can call our offices at 508-757-9877. Um, you can... Um, Get on any of our, our social media. <laughs> uh, uh, we have Facebook, Instagram. That's all beyond over my head, but I think we have all of those, Twitter, everything. Um, and then you could just stop in as well. 100 awesome. Grove Street, uh, fourth wow, floor. Great. Um, come in and say hi to us, and uh, we, you know we'll get, answer any questions you may have. Awesome. Well, Rob, thank you so much for coming on The Voice of Business. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, everybody, again, for listening to another episode of The Voice of Business. We'll catch you next week. You've been listening to The Voice of Business, a podcast from the Worcester Regional Chamber of Commerce, sponsored by Worcester Regional Airport, in partnership with The Telegram and Gazette.